us are going to be in Romans chapter 10 this morning. Romans chapter 10. Saved, saved, saved. You know, of all the places in the Bible of how to be saved, this is about the only place that shows you how to be saved. It talks about salvation in all the places in Scripture. But right here this morning, we're going to read about a person being saved and what that means. You know, if you go outside of the church walls, sometimes you uh, witness to people the word saved uh, is almost offensive because immediately you're uh, assuming that they have something they need to be saved from. And so some of the teaching today in the church is trying to redirect our vocabulary to not use the word saved, but to use the word freedom or forgiveness or some other uh, hogwash word like that. And those aren't hogwash words, but understand that a person needs to be saved. There's only two options in humanity. There are those who are lost and there are those who are saved. So God was very explicit with that and he doesn't want you to be confused about that word. People need to be saved. Even if it sounds offensive to them, they need to be saved. They need to be rescued from the world and the, and the life that they are trapped in by, by Satan. So we don't want to re-vocabulize our presentation of the gospel. We want to use the word lost. We want to use the word saved. That's what the Bible uses. Amen. It uses that people are saved or people are lost. In fact, uh, Jesus gave us some scriptures to substantiate that. And I'll show you that in just a minute. One time I went to the movie and, you know, when you're sitting down with your Coke and your popcorn and people is jostling around trying to find seats, a guy came up next to me and he said, is that seat saved? And I said, no, but I am. And he went across the aisle and sat on the other side. The word saved just scares people away. It scares people off. And I want you to know the Bible uses that and so we are to use that as well. It's only by God's grace that he reaches down and rescues us from a lost world. It's only by God's favor that he reaches out and, and, and tugs at the strings of your heart to show you that you need to be saved. It's God doing that. It's not a preacher. It's not a layman. It's not somebody out of the church. It's God doing that. And he sends his people to tell you the gospel, to share that gospel message with you. And so as Paul continues to talk about salvation, he hammers in the words lost and saved in our scripture today. Let's stand and read Romans chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 5. Paul hammers in this idea of being saved by your works, and he wants you to get rid of that thought, and he wants you to learn how to be saved today. Verse 5 says in Romans 10, for Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks thus. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Verse 7, or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. 
For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Let's stop there and pray. Father, bless your word today. And I know your church is full of people, Lord. Many of them know you. Some perhaps do not. Some think they do. Some know they don't. I pray, Father, today that you speak to every heart in this room. And, Father, help us to know before we leave that we are yours. And we are saved, saved, saved. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, as a pastor, I have a, people approach me all of the time thinking that they may not be saved. And these are usually older people, not necessarily younger people, but older people who've been in church many years of their lives. And they approach me and they're concerned about their salvation. And so we sit down and we talk about what the Bible says you must do to be saved. And it says that you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? It doesn't say that you have to go to church so many times. It doesn't say that you have to read through your Bible so many times. You don't have to do spiritual exercises to be saved. The Bible says you must believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you in order to be saved. So Paul makes that very clear. He makes a contrast for us this morning between people who think they go to heaven because they're good people. Paul says that doesn't get you to heaven. If you live by the righteousness of the law, if you live by doing good things, by being a good old boy, he says, then God will hold you to that on judgment day and you'll be judged according to that law. But if you live by faith in what Jesus did for you, then you'll be judged on that. And all that means is that you believed in Him, that you placed your life in His hands, that you placed your soul and spirit in the hands of Jesus Christ to do for you what you could not do in saving of yourself. And so it's important that we understand that you don't go to heaven because you're a good boy and you do good things. Jesus said about salvation Himself in Matthew 20, uh, verse 1, 21. Jesus didn't say this, but Russell, can you make that? Oh, wait a minute. It was turned off. Can you make it go to that first slide? Matthew 1, 21. The angel said, And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. The word saved, right? Here's another one, Luke 19.10. Jesus said himself, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you change the vocabulary in your presentation, you're taken away from the gospel message. People need to know that they're lost, and people need to know that they need to be saved. Jesus came to do just that. Amen? We see that right there in front of us. Why do we need to be saved? I'm, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm a little better than my neighbor. I, I don't do horrible things. God might look on me and have favor on me because I'm not an axe murderer. I'm not a child abuser. I don't steal. I go to church. Why wouldn't God let me go to heaven? Here's why. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has fallen short of God's glory, of God's goal. We are all sinners. We need to be saved. God doesn't grade on the curve. He doesn't take the best guy that ever lived and then we all get matched up to him and 
so far down the line you get a D and you're in and an F and you're out. That's not what God does. He doesn't grade like that. If you want to think that God grades you, then he matches you with his perfect son, Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul writes, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need to be rescued. We all need to be saved. There has to have something in our life that's changed. Verse 5 gets rid of that theory of living by the law. He says, if Moses, when Moses wrote that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness... He'll be held accountable to that righteousness that is through the law. Where did, where did Paul get that thinking? He got it from Moses. And when God gave the law to the Israelites back in uh, the Old Testament, in Leviticus 18, God said to Moses, So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. So God says, here they are, here are my requirements, here are my judgments, my statutes, my commandments. And if a man is going to live by those, he'll be held accountable to those. If he tries to live by these, I will hold him accountable to those. But if he turns from those to faith in my son, then I will hold him accountable to that. And Jesus was faithful and fulfilled what he came to do. So we live by faith in the Son of God. A Christian does. A person who's trying to live by the law, and I don't mean living by God's law necessarily. I mean by living by your own law. I'm a good old boy. I do better than my neighbor. I go to church. I give money to the plate. But you've never put that trust and faith in Jesus, on judgment day, God will hold you accountable to your way of living. And I promise you, you've broken your own laws, just like you've broken God's law. We read about that. We talked about that way back in Romans 1, remember? When all men under the law are held accountable to the law. And so, understand that. We do not go to heaven because we're good people. Now, the first thing that I want you to see, my first point is this. To be saved, you must recognize that you cannot save yourself by keeping God's law. We just read that there in verse 5. Now, Galatians chapter uh, 3, I believe it is, I've got it on the screen, talks about that as well. Let's look at that together. I've got two slides worth of Galatians 3. It says, jumping ahead, it is... I'm sorry, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? If God's going to save us, why wouldn't he give us the law to save us? And so Paul asked the question in Galatians, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. And he explains his answer. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. Do you see that? Paul says, if God had given us a law that was able to give us life, then we would be judged according to that law. We would be uh, judged according to the righteousness that we acquire from that law. Now he goes to the next verse. He says, but... 
The Scripture has shut up all men under sin. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You see that? God took the Scripture and wrote it in such a way that it wrapped all of us up in this room in sin. There's none of us that can get outside of sin. We're all trapped in it. We're all slaves to it. But if we, God had given us a law that would have given us life, then some of us might have been able to, to live that law, and we would have been able to escape that trap of sin. But guess what? None of us were able to. None of us were able to live that life. We all sinned and fell short of God's glory. So in that verse in the screen, Paul says that it was by the promise of God through faith in Jesus Christ that we would be free from sin. And God says that whoever believes that will be saved, will be free from the sin that has trapped you, the sin that has enslaved you. That's the promise of God. Faith in Jesus, not law of Moses. Amen? And so, we go to that. We must, in order to be saved, I must recognize that I cannot save myself by keeping God's law, or any law for that matter. Faith by the law, what would that require? It would require perfection. I would have to live God's law perfectly in order to, to have righteousness through that law. If I could live it perfectly, then I could attain that. But we were unable to do so. You know, even Paul attempted that. The Jews are attempting it today, right? They don't receive Jesus. They receive God's law. And so a Jew man today, an Orthodox Jew, tries to live God's law. And Jesus came and they were trying to live God's law. And he shot him down. Left or right, up and down, all over. He pointed out that they weren't living the law. They weren't keeping the law, even though they were trying to pretend that they were. And some people are trying to pretend that today. Even Paul tried to pretend that he was living the law. You know, the great apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, he was a Pharisee. He was a man who would chase down Christians to put them to death and put them in jail. And so Paul says this of himself in Philippians chapter 3. He says, if anybody can brag, I can brag more than you. I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, Paul says, I was found blameless. Woo, boy, he's bragging there, isn't he? He's not bragging, he's telling you the mistake that he made. Because in the very next verse, Paul says this in Philippians 3, 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith 
in Christ. Do you see that? Even the great apostle Paul tried to get to heaven by his good works. But on that road to Damascus, he met Jesus and he realized he was hopelessly lost. All the things that he had done in his life, building himself up and trying to reach up to God, Paul now throws them in the trash can. They are worthless to him. He says, I could not attain my own righteousness, but I need the righteousness that comes from Jesus through faith in Jesus. That's what a man needs. That's what we need. That's what you need. To be saved, you must recognize that you cannot save yourself by keeping God's rules, by keeping God's law. Coming to this church isn't going to save you. Putting money in that plate is not going to save you. Singing these songs is not going to save you. The only thing that saves you is a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's Son. You believe in Him and you come to know Him and He comes to know you. That is what saves a man. Now we can go on and it talks about, although a scripture is clear that man cannot be saved by his works, if you go out today and you ask somebody, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Yes, I'm a good person. I'm a good guy. I'm going to heaven because of that. Even though we've broken God's laws, even though we have failed to love God with all of our heart, even though we failed to love our neighbor as ourselves, we still think we're going to heaven because we've kept some kind of rule book that might get us there. Look what it says. Paul told us back in Romans, in, in the book we're in now, in chapter 3 of Romans, he said this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Remember I told you God wrote the scriptures, therefore that it wrapped all of us up in sin. We all have sinned. That's what that verse is saying. The next verse Paul writes, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. How did I know I was a sinner? I read God's law. And it said, Thou shalt not steal. And I had taken something Therefore, I knew that I was a sinner because the law showed me I was a sinner. That's what that verse says. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so, you and I cannot be saved through the law. We can only recognize that we need to be saved through the law. That's all that we can get out of the law. That's all that it will do for us. To be saved, you must recognize that you cannot save yourself by keeping God's law. Rather, the law condemns you. And so, is the law bad because it condemns me? No, it's good. God's law is faithful and true and just. What the law does is it shows me my sin and then it points me to Jesus. The law is good. Even though it condemns me, it is still good because it points me to the Savior. Amen? That's Paul's writing in Romans in a nutshell. Here we go with the second point that I want you to see this morning. In order for you to be saved, you must recognize what Christ has done for you that you could not do for yourself. Right? I found that picture on the internet and it just fit what I was trying to say. 
And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Now, you know, you can go to your death and pay for your sin. I'm not saying that you can't do that. And you know what? Most of the world will do that. When the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, what that means is that when you come to judgment day and you don't have a Savior, you're going to pay with your death for your sin. And your death is not annihilation of you. Your death is simply the removal of you from God into a place called hell. And those who have acknowledged God through Jesus Christ and are saved, they won't be annihilated. We will live eternally. We will be removed to a place with God. Those without God, they'll move to a place without God. Those with God, to a place with God. You see how that works? So you don't stop existing. You are an eternal being. You will exist eternally forever. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what God said. And so he's made a decision for us. I can't pay for my sin. Well, I can by my death and my separation from God eternally. Or I can let somebody else pay for me. Would any of you all pay for me? Would somebody just stand up and pay for Brother Clay's sins? Come on. All you have to do is die and go to hell. Won't anybody do that for me? You know what? I, I would find it very difficult to do it for any of you. I can't blame you. But you know what? There was one who did. And he left his throne in heaven to come to this world to grow up and live as a man and live God's law perfectly so that he could be the only one capable and able to be the sacrifice for me. He paid for my sin. Jesus did something for me that I could not do. And Jesus did something for everyone in this room that you cannot do. He paid for you. Now, you can acknowledge that or you can reject that. That's being saved or that's being lost. Some of you find it difficult to believe. You, you, you say it's a fairy tale. It's far-fetched. I just can't wrap my mind around that. I can't wrap my heart around that. You have to come to that conclusion. That, that's your conclusion. That's your decision. But I promise you right now, God is pounding at the door of your heart. Let me in. Let me in. Let me in. I want to save you. I want to save you. I want to save you. And that's what he does. And finally, we open up that door of our heart and we let Jesus in. Some men keep it closed all the way to their deathbed. And on judgment day, they will be removed from God. They will pay for their sin with their death eternally in hell. They'll pay for their sin. Jesus paid for mine. That's what God is teaching us this morning. The second point, to be saved, I must recognize that Jesus Christ has done something for me that I could not do. Look in verse uh, 6. It says, but the righteousness based on faith speaks this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. What is he talking about there? In the Old Testament, that's a quotation from the Old Testament. And the people said, hey, send somebody to heaven for us and bring down salvation to us. And Paul writes, you're not going to find it like that. That's already been done. He's already come down. He's already come down from heaven. 
to show you salvation. And then they say, well, who might go into the abyss for us and bring it up that we might discover it and find it? And Paul writes again, you can't do that. He's already been dead and raised by his father. So Jesus has done everything for our salvation. He came from heaven and he went into death in the tomb and he was raised again for our justification. And so God has done everything. There's nothing that you and I can do to be saved. There's nothing that we have to do. My flesh can accomplish nothing in salvation. The only thing I can do as a person is to accept what God has done. That's what he's saying there in verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. He's already come down, Paul says. Verse 7. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. He's already been raised from the dead. He's not going to do all that again. God has accomplished salvation. Verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. So Paul says God alone has done all of these things. Christ was in, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God came down and he raised Jesus up from the dead. That is how you and I believe and are saved by our faith. God put that in our heart. This world does not trust that message. To them, the cross is foolishness. But to you and I who are saved, it's the power of God. It's how He saved us. Amen? The world thought they were killing God. But God turned it around and showed that through that death of His Son, He was saving the world for those who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this commandment, it's not far from any one of you. It's not in heaven that you got to go get it and bring it down. It's not in the abyss that you got to go dig it up and bring it up. Paul says it's right here with us, right in my mouth. This message of salvation is right in my mouth. It's very near to me right now. In Acts chapter 17, God said to the Athenians on Mars Hill, those stoic people who were reasoning things out, he said this, that the unknown God that you do not know is the one that I come to proclaim to you. And in that proclamation, I say this, that God made all of us from one man, Adam. All of the, man, all of the world's humanity is made from one man, Adam. And God made us and put us on this world and set our boundaries where we would live. Amen. And then he said this, so that you and I might grasp for God and find him. That he might save us from this world of sin. Wow, what a great God we have. He wants to save us and rescue us. And that's what Paul is telling us here. That this message that Paul is preaching is a message of faith. It is near me. I don't have to go somewhere and find it. I don't have to go dig it up somewhere. It's right here. It's in my mouth. It's in our presence. It's with us even today. Paul 
gives us that message through the preaching of the gospel. And you hear it every Sunday in this church. And you may hear it on the radio on your way to work or home from work. But we hear the gospel message proclaimed in the world. Amen. And it's something that we need to take heed to. It's something that we need to share as well. To be saved, you must recognize that Jesus has done something for you you could not do. The last point I want to make is this. To be saved, you must believe Jesus is the crucified and risen Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. To be saved, you must recognize that. Look in verse 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Amen. Verse 10 simply explains verse 9 of what it means to confess and to believe. When a heart uh, is expressed through motions or mouth, that's confession. Amen. My heart believes it first and then my body responds by confessing it through my hands through my actions, through my life, through my mouth. The heart believes it, the body expresses it. The heart believes, resulting in righteousness. The body expresses that, resulting in salvation. You think the Bible here is teaching two requirements to be saved. Believe and confess. It does not. The only thing you have to do to be saved is to believe. Amen? That's all you have to do to be saved. Now, think about the thief on the cross. Well, we say, well, he may have confessed. Yeah, he may have confessed to his friend who Jesus was. But that is not a requirement of salvation. Let me show you a a couple of slides. Maybe I didn't put them up there. I didn't. Let me uh, think about that for just a minute. Okay, I've got it. John 3.16. What does John 3.16 say? Somebody quote it for us loudly. Amen. That whosoever does what? Believes in him shall not perish. Does it say anything about confessing him there? Believing in him. When the Philippian jailer came to Paul and Silas and said, What must I do to be saved? What did Paul say to him? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You and your family. So don't think that Paul is teaching confession and belief as a requirement for uh, salvation. All right? Now, we do confess our sins to him. Right? And we do say that we're sinners and we want him to save us and come in. But at the same time, the salvation process is the process of believing. Believing is in the heart. The expression of that belief is the confession. What is the first confession that a Christians should do after they've been saved. It's right behind me. Baptism. That is a confession of Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. And I'm going to follow him obediently through my death and my burial and my resurrection to a new life. That's all that baptism is. is a picture of what's happened to you. It is actually your first confession of faith. Amen. It's important that we understand that about confession. We need to know that. So true saving faith is trusting in God and what he says about Jesus. Third point, 
To be saved, you must believe Jesus is the crucified and risen Lord and Savior. Now, when I say that we must believe what God says about Him, there's a lot of beliefs about Jesus. You can go to a Jehovah Witness church and you can hear all about Jesus. Amen? But it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the same Jesus. You can go to a Mormon church and you can hear all about Jesus. For goodness sakes, they got Him in the name of their church. The Church of Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ. Right? But it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's a man-made Jesus. The Jehovah's Witness have a man-made Jesus. And so you don't have to understand all of the teachings about Jesus because most of them are false. You must believe what God says about His Son, Jesus Christ. And God says that without Him, you're lost. And God says the only way to me is through my Son, Jesus Christ. There is no other way. He said of Himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in order for you and I to be saved, we must believe uh, the specifics about Jesus Christ as the risen, crucified and risen Lord and Savior of our life. Not just a man's definition or a view of Him. Where am I going to find the best definition of Jesus to trust and to follow? I would challenge you to read the book of John. In the book of John, you will find out who Jesus is. You will know all about Him when you finish reading that book. All that you need to know about Him at that moment. You won't know all about Him, but all that you'll need to know to be saved, you can find about Jesus in the book of John. My uh, top two books, Romans and John. Okay? Read those. That's why we're going through the book of Romans. When one sees Jesus, the biblical Jesus on the cross, dying on the cross for their sin... It affects us, amen? It affects the way I feel about Him. It affects the way that I want to live. It affects the things that I want to do. That belief, that trust, that effect in my life leads me to repentance. It leads me to stop living like I used to live because that man died for me. That man gave his life for me. None of you would, but he did. And because of that, I want to know Him. I want to follow Him. I want to learn about Him. I want to know the man who saved my soul. And so I commit myself to Him. I surrender to Him. I commit myself to Him. And in that commitment, that leads me now to a life of faith. If you have very little commitment towards Jesus Christ, all that reveals is that you have little faith. You have a lack of faith if you have a lack of commitment. Carl challenged us this week, commit your lives to Jesus. Amen? Gail told me this morning that she wanted to talk to the church. I said, let me do it. She said, she's the only Sunday school teacher we have in this entire church for the grades one through five. One person teaching Sunday school children. She said, you try to teach a first grader and a fifth grader at the same time. You commit to the Lord. We need Sunday school teachers. We need people that will step up and commit their lives to Christ. 
Don't come and be relaxed and, and don't come and, and just chime in with everything and then just go home for the rest of the week. Come and commit yourself to Christ and to His work and to His church and to His people. That's what He's asking you. A lack of commitment shows a lack of faith and a lack of trust. And that's why people come and say, Brother Clay, I don't know if I'm saved. Maybe I should change my answer to what's your commitment to Christ. Amen? You see what we're saying here? So what do I do? I, I have to understand and believe the specifics about the crucified and risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. True faith confesses Christ openly. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul writes. Faith is the root. Confession is the fruit. Amen? When I really have faith in Jesus Christ, then I'm going to confess Him before men. And I'm going to stand up and shout it. And I'm going to uh, share the gospel with people that I know and people that I run into. Now, after I'm saved and after I've gone through those baptismal waters to accomplish my first confession of faith, then the Lord sets us on a road of sanctification. And that's just a big church word that means He's going to clean up our act. All right? That doesn't cleanse me. That's just a picture. What cleanses me is the washing of the Word. So I get into the Word after I get into those waters, and I start learning what it is to be a Christian. I start learning how to walk as a Christian. I start learning what to do. And that's called sanctification or cleansing. And God begins to cleanse us and make us His children. And He causes us to walk a certain path. And He doesn't want us to be lukewarm. He wants us to be hot or cold, but He really wants you to be hot. Amen. If you're cold, He can convict you. If you're hot, He just says, Yeah, come on. And if you're lukewarm, He says, I'm spitting you out. So we want to be that person who is hot on fire for the Lord. And we want to be cleansed and sanctified, living for Him, growing in Him. Even Peter himself told us something in 1 Peter 3. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you. So Paul and Peter, all the Bible tells us to, to work towards that cleansing, to work towards that life of Christ. So when people ask us, why I am like I am, I can tell them. Because Jesus saved me. Is that seat saved? No, but I am. No, but I am. Can you say that? Can you say you're saved? Do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you died walking out into this parking lot, if you died, where would you go? Some people don't know the answer to that. Some people in this room don't know the answer to that. Some people do know the answer to that. I would go to heaven. Why? Because I'm a good old boy? No. Because I've done good things? Because I put money in the plate? Because I come here every Sunday because I preach God's word? No, 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 no. I would go to heaven because Jesus got on that cross for me. And I acknowledge that. And I receive that. And I want to know that man. And I follow that man. And I love that man. And I learn about that man. And I try to imitate that man. I want to be his. Not because I do good things. Because I have Jesus 
as my Savior. That's why I know I'm going to heaven. Now, how do you know you're going to heaven? Or maybe you don't know that you're going to heaven. That's a question that you need to ask and you need to get it over with quickly and take care of it before that day comes and you do walk out in the parking lot and perish. Take care of it today. It can happen right now. God's not after perfection. He's after the direction of your life. Genuine faith leads us to confessing Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed. Hey, listen, I, I've had plenty of opportunities in my life where I had a zipper on my mouth and I kept it there when I should have opened it and said something about Jesus. And I beat myself up about that 20 years ago that happened to me. 20 years ago that happened to me. It could have even happened to me yesterday. I beat myself up for that. But then I remember Peter on the night of Jesus' trial and before the rooster crowed, Peter denied knowing him three times. And what happened after that? Jesus came to Peter and he restored Peter. Just like he's restored me for keeping my mouth shut when I should have opened it. When the Holy Spirit was telling me to speak. When the Holy Spirit was giving me words to say, I should have opened my mouth, but I kept it shut. I know all of us here have experienced that. God will restore you. He's a compassionate and a gracious God, and He will restore you if you would let Him. But you need to know that you must confess Him. To be saved, you must openly confess Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, Everyone who Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. What is your life doing? Are you living confessing Christ or are you living denying him before men? That's what Jesus is talking about. Don't be ashamed to be who you are. You might be here this morning and you realize you're a good person. You might think that that's going to get you to heaven, but you learn today it won't. Jesus didn't leave the throne of heaven to come to this world so that you could live your best life right now. That's not why He came. He didn't come to build you up and give you prosperity and make you happy and do all of those things. He came to save your soul. That's what He came to do. Jesus didn't come to make you happy, and He didn't come to make you rich, and He didn't come to make you the envy of everybody in your neighborhood. Jesus came to save your soul, and He wants to do that today, and He wants to rescue you. He died to rescue you from the judgment that is to come. That's what it means to be saved. Let's read it one more time. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. The righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The only righteousness that will save you. Not the righteousness of the law or keeping the rules. So I'm going to ask everyone here this morning to bow your head with me and close your eyes, please. Everyone, bow your head and close your eyes. If you aren't sure that you're saved, I want you just to look up at me and put your head back down. 
Just look up at me and put your head back down. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. If you're not sure that you're saved, look at me. Put your head back down. Amen. Amen. If you know you're not saved, look at me and put your head back down. Come on. It's not hard. God loves you. He's pulling at your heartstrings right now. For those of you that looked at me, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. You must say it from your heart. Not me, but you. Pray this, would you? Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I've learned this morning that I cannot attain heaven on my goodness. But I also learned that Jesus came and gave his life for me. And Lord, I believe that with all of my heart. And I want Jesus to save me right now. I open the heart of my door, a door of my heart to, for him to come in and become my Lord and Savior. Thank you, God, for saving me today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.